What defines success? Be prepared. Every day I feel like I need to make sure I'm enhancing my education. What happens when you get knocked down? We did not have the tools that we needed to be a vibrant financial institution or sector going forward. What makes some people radiate? Take risks. Take prudent risks, but take risks. Take that leap and bet on yourself. This is Radiate. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Radiate, the show where we interview some of the world's most successful people to find out how they work their way to the top. This week, Robert Wolf. He went from blocking tackles on the football field to blocking attacks at the president. Meet the man who people say can get to just about anybody in the world with his Rolodex. Wolf spent decades in high finance, rising to the position of president of UBS Investment Bank and the CEO of its Americas Group, where he struck up a most unusual friendship with none other than the president of the United States. So since then, he's raised millions for Obama, he's been called the rare Wall Street Democrat, and he also left the world of banking to start his own firm, 32 Advisors, which of all things has started a drone business. In this conversation, Wolf takes us through his career, how he came to be golf buddies with the president, and also what advice he would give the next generation of leaders. Here we go. So let's talk first, Robert, about something that you're really known for. I think I see it as part of your brand. It is who you are, which is your amazing Rolodex. Like there is probably nobody that you can't get to in this world. Well, I don't know about that, but thank you. Almost. (laughs) So how did you build that? Listen, I think a lot of people in the business world have, you know, large, both deep and broad Rolodexes. I think when you're in the banking industry for most of your life, you know, 30 years, you get to meet a lot of incredibly impressive people, whether they're CEOs or, uh, you know, global figures and and leaders in different countries. And it makes it, you know, you know, an incredible opportunity. You also, you know, as more, as you get more successful, you kind of dab into other things. And, And for me, it was politics and philanthropy. And so with, you know, different charitable organizations and foundations, you get to meet different people through that, whether it's the board or people that have same causes or people that are being honored. And then obviously, from a political perspective, I've had the honor of being um, doing business outreach on behalf of the president while he was then senator and while he was president and being on. um, By the way, how'd you get that job? Uh, well, I think you get appointed to it. And so, you know, how'd you get appointed to it? Right. I'll go through that with you. (laughs) And so, you know, you get the ability to meet, you know, an incredible number of people, when you're in the intersection of what I would say, kind of Wall Street and, and K Street, you know, where we are today, there's a lot of conversation going back and forth. So I get a lot of incoming, I make a lot of outgoing. And I would say that, you know, you just build your network over time. And, you know, some of some you don't speak to, you know, more than once every couple of years and mm-hmm. some you speak to often. And I think like anything, you have to make sure that, you know, you, you're not asking for favors, that you're actually calling them for a reason. And I think right. you have to appreciate the relationship you built. But Robert, when did you know, hey, wait a minute, I'm actually a really good networker. Like, I'm really good at this. Probably people wouldn't say, hey, Robert's a good networker. I think. It's probably not one of the first things that 
comes to mind. Most people would say Robert's the type of guy you either like him or you don't like him, but <laughs> you know, at least he's a straight shooter. I think that So people would say you're a straight shooter. Yeah, people have said that Robert would be a fastball pitcher if he played major league baseball and probably could not throw a curve. <laughs> um, you know, I think By the way, I had no idea what that meant, but that's good. <laughs> just means straight as an arrow. I, I think when you are running a firm, I mean when I was president of UBS we were top five large financial institution. We had, you know, clients all over the world and you're in meetings all day. And and I think when I was running UBS I didn't think about, oh, this is part of my network. Actually it never came to mind that way. I thought But is about, that a bad thing to say that? No, though? I think that when you're doing it you kinda think like, how do I get business with this person and, and how how can our firm help that individual to better his business or his service or his product line? And then I think you know, you just build a, a relationship with these people. So I never thought while I was in business that I was building this grand network. When you leave that type of business that has incredible amount of leverage in the system and resources like a UBS mm-hmm. that's in 35 or 50 plus countries with thousands of people all over the world, when you leave that resource environment, then you're really on your own and it's incredibly humbling. But it's also liberating and it allows you to reach out to these people in a different way and how you can work together and be more collaborative and partner. And people are always looking to figure out ways to do things together, whether it's, you know, like I said, whether it's philanthropy or or other venues. You may not call it networking. Other people do. And they look at someone like you and they say, Robert, you know, what is your best piece of advice on how I can learn to network? When I walk into a room and I want to seal a deal, you know, how do I, how do I network with this person so that, so that I can, I can form this relationship and do that? I think a few things. I think one, be prepared. I am, um, I read Wall Street Journal, New York Times, of course, look at Bloomberg. Um, but, Every day I feel like I need to make sure I'm enhancing my education. And so I'm an avid reader with respect to business. So when I go into a meeting, I'm prepared. I know who I'm meeting. Mm -hmm. I try to find out as much as I can about what they like, what they don't like, how their company is done. Secondly, I try to be a good listener. And by the way, that's not easy for someone that, you know, like me, who probably waffles that line of arrogance and confidence probably (laughs) way too often. But you want to be a good listener. And I would say, number three, come with some ideas that actually makes him think, hey, you know, he's thinking for me or she's thinking for me. Mm -hmm. And as far as the network, you know, exchange cards and once in a while, you know, reach out to the person, even if it's not business driven. Hey, I know you're a fan of so-and-so or, hey, you know, I I remember you told me your son or daughter did something. And, And I would always say to people, get to know, you know, who your client is more than just from a business perspective and spend the time doing it. And then I think if you're a young person and just starting the business, you know, your best network is your school, your training class. You know, don't give up on that. Actually, that actually becomes your lifeline for the next decade. When I started at Solomon Brothers, okay, the people that are in my class, even if they left Solomon Brothers or if they, I was in fixed income and they went into equities, those were the people I would reach out to, ask the stupid question for. Hey, what does CPI mean? Or what did this Fed statement mean? Or tell me, I'm in corporates, tell me a little about mortgages or what happened in the equity market today. Mm-hmm. You know, you're most comfortable not reaching out to your boss. You're most comfortable right. reading to your peer, reaching out to your peer. So I would always say, make sure when you're in a training class or at school, make sure you develop 
develop real relationships where you can reach out to. Uh, you know, I think it's so important what you said about just reaching out to people, you know, not always to talk about business, but just, hey, I heard your your daughter is interested in, I, I don't know, whatever, it could be horseback riding or something, and you find an article about that. I mean, I think people forget that. My wife laughs at me because in now, you know, in, in this new age of, of being able to find all this information on everyone, uh, you know, I'm always putting notes in my contacts. You know, if, you know, I'm having lunch or dinner with someone and they tell me that their daughter went is going mm-hmm. to pen. I like to remember those down. things. Yeah, often, not all the time, but I like to remember some of those personal things because I know when I'm in a meeting, if someone says, you know, how are your boys doing at Duke or how's your wife doing at Sandy Hook Promise? Those are, those are important that they yeah. actually listen to me. Right. And so, you know, I remember, you know, in my days on Wall Street, when I started, we probably didn't listen to anyone. And, and it was good to eventually learn to listen. So, Robert, let's talk about your relationship with the president. So, like, how does one become friends with the president? How does that work? Well, it has been an incredible ride um, and uh, with incredible honor. Whether you are a Democrat or Republican, to be friends with the President of the United the most powerful States, man is, in the world. it's something. And I've had that good fortune. And, you know, it started in 2006, and I'll try to make this quick. Um, I met him at a, a little get together uh, through George Soros. Probably the only other time I saw him was at the Kerry Convention in 2004 when he gave that incredible speech. 2006, there was a group of Democrats, and he was talking to them, and I didn't say a word, and believe it or not, because I was kind of a novice in the room, and I gave him my business card, and then the next day he called, and my secretary yells, it's uh, Barack Obama, and I get on the phone, you know, who the F is this? No, it's Barack Obama. No, really, who is this? No, really, it's Barack Obama. Did that really happen? Yeah, and the, because I was because I told people I met with him, so I, I thought my buddies were busting on me, which would not be unusual, okay, on Wall Street. And then um, we were we talked throughout, you know, the last quarter of '06 fairly often. But what then, was he calling for? He just wanted to follow just to, up? just to talk and get to know me. And then we met, uh, had a dinner in 2000, January 2007, just the two of us uh, at Olives, and you know, we really had a lot of things in common. Uh, he was an Ivy League guy. I'm an Ivy League guy. He's a sports guy. I'm a sports guy. He had two young kids. I had two young kids. His mother uh, passed away of cancer. My dad was going through cancer. He was against the war. I was against the war. So you can, it's one of those cards of that you kind of just check off. Yeah. And then he asked me if, uh, if I would support him for the presidency. And uh, I was very clear that, you know, you know I'm on board. And in doing so, I said that my wife and I would like to host your first New York event, which we did in March 2007. Gives you an idea how long ago that was. Mm. And we had a lot of people who just wanted to meet this guy. He was running, you know, like 10th in the polls. Hillary was at 65% and he was at 1%. But he just finished the Audacity of Hope book. And he had momentum. People wanted to meet him. And, you know, it was great for, you know, my friends, my clients, my family to all get to meet him. And then for a period of time, I was a fundraiser. Then in August 2007, uh, when I was at that point president of UBS, we were going to be one of the first firms to show a billion-dollar loss. And I called him and said, I know, you know, I've been a fundraiser for you. And, 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 I, and I'm calling. It was his birthday. He just called my wife for her birthday. And I said, I'm just telling you, it's going to move from about being about the war to all about the economy. 
because all of a sudden I saw how much leverage was in the system. It felt like we were going to burst this bubble. So you flagged him on this. I wouldn't say I flagged him, but rumor has it I was one of the ones that flagged him. And then I became his economic advisor, myself and Austin Goolsby, um, at that point. And we started talking or emailing nonstop. Mm -hmm. And it continued throughout. You know, during the Lehman weekend, I was one of the executives that was reaching out to him and you know, that's written about often, you know, calling yes. calling then Senator Obama, you know, who was negotiating with McCain about, you know, whether he should do the camp, do the debate or not, which was funny as Phil Graham, the vice chairman of UBS was working for me. He was a McCain guy and I was an Obama <laughs> guy. So it was an interesting time. And then and then our friendship just continued to proliferate from there and you know we've were obviously you, I, I mean i mean clearly the president is, is an extremely smart man but were you were you behind the scenes and and, and you know during much oh of absolutely time we were doing you would seek your advice on on the economy and and you would be telling him this Betty, work, abso- that won't work. absolutely we were talking remember this was in the depths of the beginning of the recession right. we were talking all the time about the financial markets about gse reform about reg reform and we did debate prep in my office. And so we at were UBS. at UBS. So we were talking nonstop or emailing nonstop or whether it was with uh, his advisors, you know, Pluff and Axelrod. Right. But it was for a year just continuous. And then once he became the president of the United States, I was honored with being really the Wall Street representative for the Volcker Committee, which was the president's economic recovery advisory board. And so that was a great two-year stint. And then after that, um, I became an appointee of the Council of Jobs and Competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Did you want a cabinet position? No. I, was, I had a great job at UBS. And, and You didn't want to be Treasury Secretary? I think that coming Come from – Listen, first of all, people don't turn down Treasury Secretary. But having a Wall Street guy going through that confirmation <laughs> would not have been uh, – at, at, at that time, something that was even th- thinkable. And so it, to be blunt, it just didn't even – it wasn't even a discussion. And then I had the honor of my third appointment under the president, which is I'm on now, is his export counsel. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I've remained a relationship as an outside advisor uh, with respect to the economy and business. And I have, you know, very strong relationships with uh, their cabinet and administration. And so, yeah, the relationship – I think has kind of two areas. It has the professional side, which is the business and ac- economic side, and then the personal side, which over you know this eight-year period, or actually 10 years now almost, we've developed a great relationship. Our families know each other. We're, in the, golf. we're in the golf. We're in the vineyard together. We've celebrated you know, a lot of great events, whether it's birthdays or inaugurations together. And he's been you know, quite an influence on my oldest son as well, who uh, is a public policy major at Duke. So yeah, I think that over years you build that It's been rapport, rewarding for it's both. It's been rewarding I hope for both and and I think also, you know, um, for me as I try to transform from a Wall Street guy to more of a thought leader, I'm involved with discussions that I never thought I would rally be involved in. When we come back, Wolf reveals more about his relationship with Obama and gives his view on what it really takes to succeed in America. Radiate is brought to you by Zevia. Zevia is the zero-calorie, naturally sweetened soda that is really different. 
Why? It's got no sugar, no calories, and it's non-GMO project verified, which makes this a cleaner and yes, healthier soda option. Zevia is available in 15 flavors like cream soda, black cherry, cola, ginger ale, and also tonic water. It's always zero calories. I happen to like cream soda and black cherry, but you've got 15 flavors to pick from. And did I mention that they also make great mixers as well for your favorite holiday cocktail? So go to zevia.com slash podcast because Zevia is giving away thousands and thousands of free six packs. You heard that right. Thousands have been won and who knows, you could come home to a surprise soda on your doorstep, right? That's pretty cool. So head to zevia.com slash podcast to get your free six pack. That's zevia.com slash podcast. Radiate is also brought to you by audible.com. Are you like me? You love books, but you just never have time to read them? Well, audible.com has the perfect solution. Get audiobooks and listen to them while you're on the go. At the gym or during your commute, audible.com has over 180,000 audio programs from leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine, and newspaper publishers, and also business information providers. Their app is free and it pretty much works on any device, on iPhones, iPads, Android, and Windows phones. You can also download and listen on your Kindle Fire and on over 500 MP3 players. And unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you actually own your book so you can access them at any time, anywhere, right from your smartphone. Audible.com also has what's called a great listen guarantee. If you decide you don't like the book you chose, don't worry about it. You can just exchange it at any time for another title. There are no questions asked. And just for you Radiate listeners, Audible.com is offering a free 30-day trial membership. Go to audible.com slash radiate today to start your free trial. And again, show your support for our show and get a free 30-day trial at audible.com slash radiate. like being called or considered a fat cat banker? Well, it's funny. Wall Street Journal, I think, used the headline when they did the article on me, fat cat with the president's ear. <laughs> and I used to say, Jesus, can you not call me fat? I mean, how about, how, you know, how about hefty or stocky or, or a guy with a football a robust. figure? Robust. Robust. Right. I mean, yeah, actually, you know, th- listen, this was the time where the rhetoric of the election between Obama and Romney were getting heated up and 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 there were terms of Wall Street being used from the Democratic Party, fat cat. But is it inaccurate, and, and, though? Is it I, inaccurate? I, well, I, aren't there fat cat bankers on Wall Street? You know, I actually think that Wall Street, obviously, from a income perspective, is incredibly successful. No one can take that away. But we also do some great things. Okay, and I think that during that time period, because Wall Street got back in business quickly when the rest of the country was not recovering, we stood out. And we stood out because we, uh, we lead often with this bravado. Uh, and, and, you know, we're in New York City and we're in San Francisco and we're in the urban areas where there's movie dinners, theater shows, and yeah. there's always Wall Street guys. And, and we seldom don't exude humility. It's kind of we live in a business where literally we're trying to make sure they know we are the best to do business with. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're in a situation where we have to, you know, tame it down. And and that's not something we've done that well. 
And so, you know, listen, I always thought the rhetoric was politics. And when someone said, oh, he's calling you a fat cat, I joked. I I get called worse things when I walk in my home. (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, really, in the scheme of things, that this is just this this political rhetoric that's all it was i do think though that i am one of the wall street guys that ha- agreed that we needed regulation and i was supportive of the direction obama was going but i actually liked it a lot better when it was his original 85 page treasury blueprint than the tens of thousands of pages it is today and i think he would say the same but when i was sitting in that lehman weekend rightly or wrongly Okay, we did not have the tools, okay, in that weekend, okay, that we needed, okay, to be a vibrant financial institution right. or or sector going forward. And the Fed having a systemic regulator, being the systemic regulator, so they could see both the bank holding companies and the non-bank holding companies like a Lehman and like an AIG was important. I was very supportive of making sure we had derivative transparency and clearing. Mm -hmm. And I also was supportive of the resolution authority with the living will to make sure we know how to wind down a global interconnected firm. So, you know... I, I probably did stand out in many ways uh, based on my views that were supportive of where the president was going. Yeah. And that's okay. I would probably, you know, I would take that trade again. Like I say to my friends, you had one vote and he won twice. <laughs> so how is your relationship going to change with the president when he leaves office? You know, I'm, I'm fortunate to say that one of my closest friends happened to have been the president of the United States. And and he will see my kids grow up and I'll see his kids continue to grow up and we'll play our golf and, and I'm sure we'll be involved in some of the philanthropy that he's engaged in. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife and I are already supporting his foundation. Um, and so we look forward to seeing the actions he takes and I'm sure we'll be, you know, involved in some way. As a partner, maybe? I don't think uh, that 32 Advisors is the place <laughs> for him. I, I, I should be so flattered. But uh, my feeling is he's going to do, you know, incredible things, both him and Michelle, for not just the United States, but, you know, really being kind of a, a global leader like he is today. And, and, and you know, he's going to end his presidency at a, at a young age. So, you know, there will be decades of him really kind of leading a lot of the vision of this country and, and the international perspective. So, Robert, you're so optimistic. I mean, you can tell, you know, the energy just from talking to you here, you know, you 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 love being with people, you love your business, you're passionate. But do you ever wake up? Do you wake up on a daily basis? And you say to yourself, what the heck am I doing? No, I will tell you. Never, never. I just don't. It's not. Listen, I'm not one of these people who are so exuberant and always peppy and high five. And that's just not me. I, I, you know, I'm excited to have this conversation with you. And, you know, the truth is when I'm talking about myself, I don't mind doing it. So I, uh, you know, uh, shame on me. But I, I think that, first of all, I don't need an alarm clock in the morning. Okay. Um, I wake up every morning about 515. It's a built-in alarm clock. The worst days I sleep, worst nights I sleep, is when I have to actually put an alarm clock on for some reason because I'm looking at it every five minutes. So I like getting up in the morning. 
Um, I have a routine, you know, between working out and reading the papers I like to read and listening to some of the TV I like to listen to. And I like being up early and getting my day started. And I love that I'm taking this new challenge. I don't know if 32 Advisors will be the success story that I want to read one day. But I know that I'm going to work really hard, hire really smart people to make it a, rep- a reputable firm where people will say, you know what, they're smart, their ethics are beyond reproach. Those are good people. So you don't have that fear of failure? Zero. I, I, am, I am so excited that I have the opportunity to take these challenges. You know, I mean, I will always appreciate what Wall Street did for me mm. and the idea that I have been able to now try a new challenge and not ask people to fund it but actually do it on my own. And I'm looking forward to building this 32 Advisors platform. And then the Measure platform is something I just pinched myself. It may be the most exciting thing I ever did. The drone. This drone operation, you know, it will be binary. Either myself and my partners will build the nationwide platform that is the gold brand for drone operations, or we didn't execute. It's not because we're not a first mover and we don't have the right vision. And I have not been an entrepreneurial guy. So being this entrepreneur has been it's very exciting. exciting for me. It's a, it's a new thing. It's a new challenge. I come home and you know I'm learning every day. I always say about Wall Street, the best thing about Wall Street is a free education. Every day you walk in, there's smart people you're around. You ask questions. That's continued for me. And, you know, I'm a 53-year-old guy that's still, you know. Yeah, how old were you when you left UBS? I left UBS uh, in 2012, so I was 50. Uh, 50. So you were just 50. Over, uh, okay. A little over 50. Okay. So you feel you feel like you've got plenty of years ahead of you. I, I, I'm I, not I, saying that you don't. I'm no, just saying. Uh, I'm let's just, hope so. I, 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 I'm, I'm <laughs> let's just, hope I have plenty of years. <laughs> Uh, listen, I think I'm just uh, saying you're a born again entrepreneur now. I am. At the age I of 50. am. I have a lot of exciting things going on. We have. I have. You know, obviously, 32 advisors, which we're going to do some exciting things in the infrastructure space. We have obviously Measure, and then I have 32 Entertainment, which is really my family office where I never had the ability to to make private investments before. And um, I don't know if I'm picking any good ones, but I'm having some fun doing it. But let's face it, face it also, though, Robert. I mean, you've done financially very well. So you were able to take that risk too, right? You know what? I have, I, I, I have been incredibly fortunate to be able to start Wall Street during the Reagan era. Yeah. Okay. And I tell Paul Volcker, thank you. You know, when I started Wall Street after graduating in 1984, people don't remember, but 95% of Wall Street associates then were, gra- were grads. And the Wharton degree allowed me to join Wall Street as an undergrad. I think our training class was, you know, five undergrads and 95 grads. So it wow. gave me the, I'll never forget uh, my interview process. The, the the guy said, what are you looking for? And, and he said, well, I'm looking for a rocket scientist jock. I said, well, that's easy. I'm graduated Wharton and I played varsity football, division one. So I know I'm one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Um, you know, listen, to be on Wall Street for, uh, you know, a 30-year career is something that not that many can say that they've been able to achieve. So, yeah. well, And, 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 and the environment, education. Betty, worked for me. It was a Darwinian environment. It was, 
You know, when I grew up in the 80s, it was a locker room environment, yelling and screaming and high-fiving and minute madness, and it worked for me. And then as I grew to become more senior in the firm where it talked more about the academic and, and learning side, that kind of worked for me because I was always a bit of a student of it. So, you know, I'm one of those that can burn both ends of the candle. You know, mm-hmm. I can have my fun, but I also want to be a student of the business I'm in. And so I think that uh, it's why I went to Penn. I always wanted to be a student athlete. So last piece of advice you would give anybody, whether they're 25 year old and they want to start a business or they're 55 years old and they want to start a business. I would say one is find that passion and go for it. Okay. I always tell my kids, find something you love doing and go do it. I always want to tell people also, take risks, take prudent risks, but take risks, take that leap and bet on yourself. And then the third thing I would say, get a great education, whatever that means, both in the classroom and outside the classroom. Be a student. Be up on current events. Read the paper. Watch certain TV programs that will make you smarter. And I tell my kids all the time, there there is nothing better than an education. It will give you avenues that that gets you one step ahead of your competition. And I hate to say it's a competitive, tough world out there, Mm -hmm. and education matters. So, you know, I've been fortunate to take a few risks. Some go well, some don't go well, but, you know, I'm going to keep taking them. So, Robert, so you were saying earlier that you burned both ends of the candle. I mean, you've done so many things, right? So many things. But when you were in school, you were a football player, but you were also, um, you know, at Wharton. So how do you balance all of that? You know, I would say learn to sleep about five or six hours a night. But That's it? <laughs> no, actually, I, I, I can't say I'm the greatest sleeper. That's one thing I could improve on. A few things. I think um, for me, being a student athlete was critical. It was something I always wanted to be. So going to an Ivy League school and playing Division One football was something I wanted. And actually... And you were a running back, right? I was a running back, number 32. That's why we don't have 32 advisors. It's always been a good luck uh, <laughs> number for me. But um, I always did better in school while I was incredibly busy. So, you know, while I was playing football were my best grades because we couldn't go out other than Saturday night. Um off season when you go out Wednesday, Thursday, <laughs> Friday, Saturday, I didn't do so as well. Funny how it focuses you, right? And I think uh, similar when I started out at Wall Street, um, I was a 22-year-old punk and, you know, would would it be able to go out all night and, and entertain clients and do what trainees do and enjoy the, the discos and the nightlife of, of New York in the 80s as well as be the first one in? Okay, and be the last one to leave. I always beat my boss in in the morning and left after he left in the afternoon at night. And then as I got older and more senior, it became all about work-life balance. And if there's something I can tell both those who are beginning their career, those who are in the middle and end their career, find the work-life balance. Find those things you like to do outside of work and do it. For me, it was always coaching. Uh, in sports. I coached all of my kids' sports. There are times I left work at four o'clock. I didn't feel guilty because I'd go back and finish at home what I needed to do, but I would try to never miss my son's games. Okay. uh, uh, You know, those. What did you coach? I coached football. I coached basketball and I coached baseball for them. I coached all year round. And in my town, no one knew I worked on Wall Street. I had my truck and I was Coach Wolf. 
And I think, but but the thing for me, it gave me a good balance. It allowed me to leave work at some time during the day and do something else. So work-life balance is incredibly important, and I think everyone needs to find that. Next week on Radiate, Hollywood's once golden boy is all grown up. Uber producer Ben Silverman, the man behind shows like The Biggest Loser in The Office, one of my favorite shows, joins us on Radiate to discuss what it's like to hit the big time before the age of 40, only to be torn down by the media and how he's made his comeback. Thanks for joining us. I'm Betty Lou. If you liked what you heard, please review us on iTunes. Don't forget to hit that button and subscribe to our podcast. You can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, or on my website, betty-liu.com. See you next week on Radiate. Radiate was brought to you by Zevia. Zevia is the zero calorie naturally sweetened soda that is really, really different. It's got no sugar, no calories. It's non-GMO project verified, which makes this a cleaner, healthier soda option. That's right, it's healthier. Zevia is available in 15 flavors like cream soda, black cherry, cola, ginger ale, and even tonic water. It's always zero calories. And they're also great in your holiday cocktail as a mixer. So go to Zevia slash podcast because Zevia is giving away thousands of free six packs. That's right. Thousands have been won and who knows, you could come home to a surprise soda on your doorstep. How cool is that? Head to Zevia.com slash podcast to get yours. That's Z-E-V-I-A.com slash podcast. Podcast.